on today's episode of Created. I still get briefs like this, to be honest, where I had one time, sorry, I digress, but I had a client come in and was like, okay, we need you to do a logo, uh, but we don't have a name and we won't get it approved until three weeks from now. But can you just do a logo? Like pick a typeface what? and a color palette. And I sat there and I was with, just like... With like Laura Ipsum? <laughs> like what were you... Like- Welcome to Created, the Advertising and Design Club of Canada podcast that finds out how some of the best campaigns get made. Theme music and recording studio, Care of Grace and Music. And I'm your host, Loranda Martin-Evans, founder of Fellow Human Creative. On today's show, we're talking to Mo Bofill, partner, creative director, design at 123 West, and her work on No Name, why design is more important than ever, and why people quit their bosses. Mo, welcome to the show. Thank you, Loranda. That was such an amazing intro. Oh, wow. well, thanks. So this is Mo's first time recording her own voice. Yes, yes, Other than yes. when you were 13 and made a karaoke demo? What, was, what yeah, was the... Yeah, I thought I was a great singer and, you know, started belting out Ghetto Superstar. Okay, but but... realized shortly that I was tone deaf. Can you give us a couple <laughs> bars? Oh, my God, so much pressure. No. <laughs> hey, I'll warm you up on the show okay, and okay, then we'll okay. get you to sing it later. <laughs> and it's going to be amazing. Amazing. Thank you for having me. So congratulations. Thank you for being on the show. And congratulations on your move to 123 West. Yeah. So for move. those who don't know, Mo was at John Street for five, five and half years? years. Five yeah. and a half years. Yeah. I was their exec design director there. So I was brought on to start their design offering from ground up. So building it as a business, but also our portfolio. But yeah, loved it there, truly. And where were you before John Street? Before John Street, I was at Zulu. Okay. Um, so I was at Zulu for almost six years. Which is quite a long time You're in advertising. You're a lifer. I am a you lifer. Are. Um, you know, I love, you know, being within a family setting. Um, and I think building that kind of community within an agency really works. A lot of my good friends are in advertising, to be honest. A lot of my great friends are from Zulu. And I think that's the kind of uh, ground that that set up, which is amazing. So then how did 123 West how did it pull happen? you away I know, from everyone. your John Street family? Well, you know what? So John Street was my dream job. To be honest, like it was one of those places that really supported design and believed in the power of it, but also believed in people and community. So I wasn't really looking to move, to be honest, but I had a really tough year, personal year in 2019 um, that made me really reevaluate life. So then when 2020 hit, thinking that, you know, this is going to be the year, this is the year that, you know, things are going to change and the pandemic hit. Um, And that really was super tough on me, to be honest. Um, You know, I live on my own. I'm very much a social person. Um, I very much spend a lot of time with family and friends. So when quarantine hit, there was a lot of time by myself. And that really got to me. And that really made me rethink of, you know, what kind of life do I want to live? And started to think of, you know, how do I want to build my career, my future? And I think what I wanted was, you know, what John Street gave me was that it gave me the ability that, I can, I'm able to build and lead something uh, and create something. Being part of the executive team, I learned a shit ton from Arthur, Angus, Steph, Megan, Joanna, Cass. I hope I didn't miss anyone. Um, but that executive team knew what they were doing. We were a tight team and we ran that as a tight ship. Um, and we were very much a family. But for me, I was looking for that autonomy, um, that ability to you know create something new again. Like I'm a very much an entrepreneur an entrepreneur. Um, in my DNA, meaning I like building something, creating it, and then breaking it down and doing it again. And and uh, I remember it was just 
I think early mid mid this year, Scott Keith, who I known, he's the one of the founding partners at One Twenty Three West. Um, he reached out to me on Instagram, just commented on really? a photo. Yeah, commented on a photo. He said something, and then I was just like, "Oh, Scott, it's so great to hear from you." And he's like, "We need to talk." And I was just like, "Oh." And I was like, actually, I'm reevaluating my entire life. Wow. He hit you at the right moment. <laughs> yeah, it was just at the right moment. He slid into my DMs. <laughs> <laughs> like when you were super receptive and yeah. reevaluating your whole life. And Wow. Yeah, and legit, he was just like, okay, let's talk. And we got on a call, I think a day or two later. And then we just like, obviously, so Scott and I keep in touch every year. Every year, Scott reaches out. Um, earlier that year, we had dinner when he was in Toronto. So we've always been very... Um, you know, connected from from the award show circuit. Or like, how oh, do you sorry, know I didn't contextualize other? that. So he was the general manager at Zulu. Oh, right, of so, course. So when I started Zulu, he was the one of the original people that helped build that place. Um, from there, we kind of created a bond, and we told each other, "We're like one day we're going to work together," and that never really aligned until now. And then I, I know that they've the the team, the other partners, Jeff. Rob Sweetnam, um, Jono, and Brian, they've always had ambition to build in Toronto, um, but they never really found the right person or fit to be able to grow that. Granted, 30% of our clients are in the city already, um, but now is kind of the time that was perfect to kind of expand um, the the offering. So when Scott reached out, it was kind of... Uh, uh, just perfect timing but also he's just like okay you need to talk to all the partners and then it just like clicked and everybody was just so amazing and truly truly aligned in terms of values and what we wanted to do as a team so it was like a a no-brainer but obviously a very very difficult decision for me because I was leaving a family and something that I helped build over the last five and a half years right and you have done incredible work at John Street. Oh, thank you. Just beautiful, stunning work. And you said you were brought on to elevate the design department, and you truly did. Thank so you. I'd love to unpack some of it. Yeah. Starting with the work for No Name. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So can you describe the campaign for the listeners since it's not a visual medium? <laughs> can you describe the No Name work? Oh, ah. for sure. Um, I mean, what I could do is contextualize to what the No Name brand is. Perfect. You know, you know, it's 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 been a brand that's been around for 40 years, I Has believe. Has it really? Yeah, it's been a long time. So the original designer of, so the reason, one of the reasons why that brand was created was there was a plethora of 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 brands that were coming out that was very much, you know, overindulgent and, uh, you know, higher price points. Brands were trying to differentiate in the marketplace. And then- In like the, eight, this is the 80s now. It was talking. in the 80s, yeah. Okay. And so when they came out with No Name, they wanted to really just go back to the basics. You know, this is, this is what you need. We're targeting um, value conscious consumers that appreciated good food. So the original designer of the actual visual language, so No Name, essentially it's yellow packaging, beautifully typeset Helvetica, historically it was left aligned um and it was just quite descriptive if it was you know it, it whatever it was inside was what it is it's beans it's pepper it's it's whatever so the original designer was don watt and you know he created he leaned into the discount yellow and black typography and kept it really simple so it was really very much um derivative of something that was a discount brand but value design which is where you can get the elevation but anyways so this campaign um you know this brand became uh, i would say it, it had a lot of traction when it first came out but then over time 
it it basically kind of just disappeared in the marketplace. You know, it became wallpaper. Um, it there was a, a big attribution to heavy discount and cheap. Mm -hmm. So how can we connect with one a younger audience, so the millennial mindset, a more contemporary audience, and a more conscious audience? So the job to be done was actually quite hard, but at the same time, it was a natural fit for the brand. Um, no name wanted to lean into the fact that. Students, millennials, don't have a lot of money. <laughs> that was they're, in the brief. Yeah, oh, uh, you cool. know, like they were, uh, you know, they're they're budget conscious. They're just starting school. They're going into universities. They don't have a lot of money to spend. So I remember, you know, eating Mr. Noodles and mac and cheese mm -hmm. when I was younger, mm -hmm. and that's the kind of offering that No Name had, right? Uh, and one of the other things was they were coming up with their simple check. Um, program for No Name, which is you know a better ingredients, better taste. Um, I feel like an ad right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it's fascinating to me that actually the brief wasn't mom's a savvy shopper, no. you know, that it was actually students and millennials coming in is such an interesting and cool insight that brought out this brilliant work. Yeah, and I think that was what we wanted to do is and, and I think the brilliance of making sure that we target we, we find the niche in the culture. Um, it, me, for me, fundamentally, I think brands should always I mean, the brands that I follow definitely start quite niche and go out right like if you look at you know uh, you know supreme drops you look at all of the the um brands that are of culture there's they start something small and then they go out and i think that was the thinking behind this is like let's let's look at where we can actually be truly meaningful and to whom and it was so well receptive because a uh, receptive received well receptive wow uh, it was well received just because you know one of the things and i guess i could i could talk about why design is important now and why I would design. love that. So the, the team that was on it, um, the creative team was uh, Sonia Gruchik, Simon Au, and Mark Mike Arnott. And that was the time where what we wanted to do is make sure design was at the table. So Mike was a designer and the art director was Simon Au, and Sonia was the writer. And they acted as a threesome, which was one is key, you know, when I think sometimes design designers get to touch the brand at the very end of it. Yeah, I find that a lot. So this is really interesting. So they were... Design was at the table right from the beginning. From the beginning. And I think that's what made a lot of the brands that I work on and the brands that we work on currently at 123 West and John Street is that making sure design was always integrated in the process. Don't get me wrong. It hasn't been perfect. But in the, in the times that um, it has worked, design has been at the table and quite integrated. I, I mean, I'm going to give a quick shout out to the no the no frills campaign haulers yes. when we first launched that design was so integrated from the beginning if not it even drove it drove the visual language really helped drive you know the um why that brand was so attractive right um so if we go back to no name for example when they thought of the idea as a team um we wanted to really lean into the DNA of that brand. And that's what this, where design shines. It's like you lean into who you are as a brand. So No Name has always been about simplicity, um, about, um, you know, honesty and transparency. So big, a big, a massive, massive strength of that brand was the tone of voice, how it spoke. It was one of those brands that was like it had, you know, we have nothing to say but what it is. It was very straightforward. And then the design also lifted that. So the design cues definitely borrowed from the packaging. Um, but it, what was interesting was, you know, back in the day, when you think of design, it's either an aesthetic solve, meaning make something look pretty. Um, and initially back in the day when you created a design visual language, it would just start with a logo and a packaging and that's that's where your brand kind of stopped and maybe an ad. But now 
And what was so strong with the no-name campaign is how do we now extend that whole design thinking across the whole campaign? You know, we were doing um, a bus a bus transit shelters. We did a massive, um, we kitted out an entire truck, a dorm truck, where we would go into schools and it it was a yellow truck with a full dorm inside. So everything was branded no name. And all uh, any students can purchase all of the items. So there was a pillowcase that said pillowcase. There was a bed sheet that said a bed sheet. Um, it would say lamp and posters. So the, the, the thinking behind it was that design is now creating that entire experience of the brand. So we took the brand from a packaging concept to something that now extended across every single experiences that we were driving and you could also say that you know twitter it blew up on twitter um so funny it was so the it, writing it, was the, the writing as a was writer brilliant. like it just spoke to me <laughs> i still follow them like it's it was just so hilarious yeah and i think and and i think the power of design in terms of design systems thinking so what what the beauty of this brand too is that john street executed against it and obviously you know thought of the platform the idea but it also needed to work in tandem with the in-house team at Loblaws. Um, they have a very strong in-house team there led by Dave Witherspoon. And, you know, what we needed to do is work together as a team is how can we, John, John Street, I should say they, not we anymore. Um, they You'll John always Street, be in the family. Know, right? Um, create a design system and a design language that included tone of voice and visual that somebody else can also execute against and keep it really tight. And I think that's the beauty of a very strong concept and design system. So Dave Witherspoon's team, they extended the brand, you know, um, they manage a lot of this, the, the social channel and extended into in store. So when you actually experience the no name brand across all touch points, it's so consistent and it's so true to who they are as a DNA. And I think that's that's when my heart kind of goes like, oh, my God, we did something good. <laughs> as a designer, when you when you pick up such an iconic brand that has yeah. a strong visual language, how do you honor what has already been created in the brand and also give yourself room to play and explore like how do you how do you translate that yeah i mean so i'm in the business of transforming brands typically right like that's that's what we do typically brands you know age they become irrelevant so our job is to now cool let's transform it and the instinct is full revolution right like let's let's abandon let's abandon what we were and um and and start something new and i think for me what's really important always fundamentally lies in strategy figuring really figuring out who your brand truly is your purpose and your dna and and some brands they have such strong dnas right like it you know it there's no point of really changing some of those things so for example with no name to to its dna it's always about simple and good um so for us the smart way to do it was not to redesign what it was but really leverage what that was and just make it contemporary but if i think of the other brands that i've worked on if you think of again i don't want to like no frills the haulers campaign it was we needed to redefine no frills because of the stigma around it, you know, people didn't shop at No Frills because they were ashamed they were going to be seen as cheap. So we needed to destigmatize that feeling. So we need to make it feel cool and relevant. Um, so we still leaned into who they were. Like we didn't change the logo. It was still yellow. But the tone and the vibe of the brand changed to be more dynamic. So I think the 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 happy medium is one finding the DNA of the brand, and if it needs a change, like a full overhaul, then you do it. But if you don't need to do it, there's no point because then a consumer is going to feel like it's inauthentic, in my opinion, right? Like if you transformed a brand that was, you know, all about, uh, I can't think of one right now. <laughs> 
But if you suddenly change a brand that was not about sustainability and they didn't do the sustainability wasn't a key part of who they are. And then suddenly you're like, oh, everything's not going to be super organic looking and and, um, and natural. It, it feels very artificial. So I think that the magic is really uncovering that that DNA. So how does it work? You mentioned it's not perfect, but generally you want to have art director, writer and designer in this perfect triangle of creative awesomeness. (laughs) So but where does the designer fit into that creative process? Like when you you got the brief and there's a blank page, are the three of you in dreamland jamming together? Is it like how does that unfold? Oh, my God. In perfect land. This is this is like the question of my life, to be honest. It's been something that, you know, I've been experimenting with in terms of and to be honest, I don't actually think I figured it out personally. Because <laughs> um, we've tried, so we've tried a bunch of ways. Uh, like we've tried a threesome, a trifecta, but naturally art directors and uh, copywriters are natural partners. So it's mm-hmm. always, you know, sometimes a threesome, somebody always gets left out. Yeah. Um, the third wheel. <laughs> the third wheel. Um, and then we've also looked at, you know, and, and I, what, what I've been finding quite successful is when you're first creating a brand, um, uh, pairing a strategist and a designer mm. as a team in the beginning. Uh, and that was something that we were starting to do over the last year, um, where typically, you know, strategists will think and work with and kind of use thinking partners, creative directors and designers creating the brand platform. Um, and then it goes into, you know, figuring the brand stance and then a brief. But now what we're doing is let's insert the designer as a partner to the strategist because you're doing the same type of uncovering, right? Like you guys get onboarded as a team. So you're both uncovering the the, the category, the consumer, you're doing all the audits. And then as a team, you actually develop the stance. So you actually remove the briefing process now at this point, because as a team, you're now creating what the brand is about. And by the time that the creative team gets inserted, you, the designer is now the conduit to that team. Um, so it's not perfect. Um, I will say, you know, that that was one of the things I, I'm why I moved to 123 West, too. And I think we'll, we'll speak to it later. But um, the model that we have at 123 West allows for that hyper collaboration that you're talking about, like in that perfect world. Um, so shout out to my current agency is that what, what we figured out there is, you know, we are. Our models is a bit different. We're, I don't know if you know about it, but we're like we're 15 creative directors. Um, everybody's quite senior in the agency. Mm-hmm. Um, that's because, you know, uh, we're all about um, low overhead and high talent, making sure that the client gets the best possible work with the right thinkers and the right groups of people. So when a project comes in, whether it's an integrated campaign or a brand transformation, we look at, OK, what is actually necessary for this project? And typically brand transformation you'll have. We're currently undergoing one right now for a client that I can't talk about yet, but it's a big it's a big brand um, and we're creating a, a brand transformation. And right now it's myself um, and um, my counterpart is Brian Collins, who's one of our creative directors. Um, he's a writer by background. We're the CDs on the project and we have that perfect trifecta that we're talking about. It's uh, We have an art director, a designer and a, a copywriter working through and problem solving. And your CDs are both design and copywriting. Um, so as a team, we're so ingrained it's not perfect don't get me wrong we haven't fully figured out but it's it's working really well where we're in lockstep with each other where does the art director end and the designer begin and yeah. is there cross-pollination between the two and for, for those students who are listening who might be yeah. studying am i an art director am i a designer yeah. how do you where do you see that 
division. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, so to give you context, I I, so I I mentor Miami Ad School and a lot of students are actually like, I I like design, but I'm also an art director. Where do I go? And I had the same feeling when I was at Zulu for six years. I was a designer and an art director at the same time. So I was a designer who had a writing partner and function as an art director. So the lines do get blurry. But I think the delineation is that, you know, uh, the strength of art directors is their ability to conceptualize and being in t- being able to interpret a brief and um, uh, f- through the lens of ideas. So I'm not saying that designers aren't uh, high concept. It's just designers are trained and they, the way they've been brought up is through systems thinking. So they're more definitely more analytical. They think in broad strokes, and and you know it's 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 rare. And the strong designers are the ones that are conceptual. So designers are not naturally conceptual. To be honest, it took me five years to figure out that what an idea was like inherently, like coming up with an idea. So as designers, we're not naturally trained to conceptualize. So I think the perfect marriage is you have art directors who understand design and the craft of design, and you have designers who can ideate. And when they're partnered, it comes out as a better, um, a better combination. And in my opinion, you know, you, you need to be a specialist at something. And I think, Art directors are a specialist of, you know, conceptualizing and getting to that idea. And designers are specialists in design systems thinking and the ability to create brands that expand. I'd love to talk about your philosophy about leadership now, ah, if I could. Because you recently wrote an article, I think it came out last week. It was it was titled, People Don't Quit Their Jobs, They Quit Their Bosses. Yeah. And the article states, at a time when we look to our leaders most, we need less ego and more empathy, less individualism and more collectivism. Can you talk to me about this article, what inspired it and what your philosophy oh, is yeah. on leadership? Good question. I mean, so I am, I'll just start off with, I feel so blessed to be in a role in, in the industry that I truly love and respect. Um, and every day I'm just like, oh my God, like I love, I love, I love my job and the people within it. And I've had so many great mentors and colleagues and friends that have helped shape who I am today. And I think for me, I think we can admit this, you know, we are we are in an industry of which we do sell the way we function as an industry. We, we do sell it. We, we we foster ego. Right. Like we um, we very much are driven by um, competition. You know, we, we enter award shows. We pitch against each other. Um, we are in an industry that celebrates fame. Um, you know, you're, you, you get awarded, you get promoted, you get celebrated. Um, and I have been a product of that and I've participated in that and it has helped my career. But I think the underlying systemic thing that's been happening is that, you know, because we're in this environment, it breeds, it breeds ego and it breeds leadership that, um, we fundamentally don't stop and say, oh, wait, this person's a great creative leader. They drive results. They're so amazing at, you know, getting to the idea. We don't train them how to nurture and how to lead, how to, you know, um, really galvanize a team. And I think for me, what I've observed in my career in advertising, I've had, you know, I, I write in the article, you know, I've had different types of bosses, ones that uh, lead with fear, lead with ego, um, lead with, you know, me first attitude. And I've had leaders who lead, who led from behind, uh, who supported me. And because and, I, if you looked at my book, when I first started in this industry, I definitely would not have hired me. Uh, Come on. 
one. <laughs> no, no, trust me. I would not have hired me. I'm going to be like, well, who is this girl? But, you know, I got to give credit to I, I, my first job was at DDB with John Furneaux and Eric Nielsen. And they looked at my book and like, you know, there's something in this person. And they supported me and they believed in me. And, and, and that's how I grew. And every single time that I was able to... Um, uh, succeed at a place, you know, uh, whether it be John Street and 123 West, um, at Zulu, like I've always felt like somebody believed in me and that's what drove me forward, to be honest. And I got to credit all the people that drove me there. So I think for me, this article really spoke to, it seemed really more prevalent now where we are so driven by awards. And that's a thing, you know, ADCCs, we are built on that platform. But um, what I love about awards is that it helps inspire. It, it creates programming like this, where we talk about uh, issues about advertising or things that we care about. But I think where it falls apart is when we over index on, you know, your only value is if you win X, right. And I think mm -hmm. as an industry, we've over indexed on that. And, and now, um, it feels like we, we you know, there's um, I've gotten some great, amazing conversation coming out of my article and a lot of people coming forward and being like, holy shit, like, you know what, I've experienced some leaders who kind of, you know, threw me under the bus or didn't support me and didn't mentor me. And it's quite prevalent right now. And I felt that as someone who was, you know, at a time when we're facing this pandemic, at a time where we're the most vulnerable, um, a lot of this behavior is being exposed and people are feeling it. And I think that was one of the reasons why I actually wrote it. So I wrote this earlier this year, just before when the pandemic hit. Um, but I was in a mindset then where, you know, a few friends were going through some things with their bosses that, you know, I didn't agree with. And, and, and sometimes as a person, it's hard to hold your leaders accountable because they're like, oh, my God, they're my boss. I'm afraid to say anything. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, one, there's a responsibility to leaders like us to then foster environments that allow for growth in a safe place. But also, how do we help or at least create a conversation so that people feel comfortable to talk to talk about it. Yeah, you say in the article, being kind leads to good work. Yeah. And I'd love to unpack that statement for a second because I found as a female leader specifically, yeah. that there's an emphasis, like don't be, sometimes you need to be harsh. Like sometimes as a boss, you have yeah. to be pissed off about something or disappointed about something. Yeah. And sometimes the feedback I've gotten as I've grown into a leadership career is, you know, make sure you couch your right. And I, and, I, and I feel sometimes like men don't have to, they can be the heavy and everyone yeah. respects that. So I guess my question is, I, I completely agree with you, being kind leads to good work, but how do you avoid being a total sucker and being taken advantage of in that role? No, 100%. And you know what? I love that you stated that, that as a female leader that you struggled with figuring out your leadership voice. Because I struggle with the same thing, to be honest. You know, when I first entered... Uh, a leadership position when I was quite young I look I look young <laughs> so for those who don't know what I look like I'm like a young Filipino woman so my face I like I, I look like I'm in my I'm like 18 to be honest um and I'm I was, so jealous <laughs> let me tell you no don't worry by the time I'm 63 it like falls apart <laughs> <laughs> it's like this magical thing that just like but until 63 <laughs> until 63 woo! I will look like this and I and I have a very youthful vibe to me but you know I was put in a position where I was si sitting at the table of the C-suites right you had 50 year old 
white men in those positions. And then I, I struggled with how are you going to take me seriously, this kid that you don't know that looks like a kid. Um, and I struggled with my leadership style where I actually tried to emulate men. I tried to emulate women that I thought was, okay, these 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 people are bad bitches, you know, like that that perception. And, and I tried doing that. Like I tried the whole, I'm going to be aggressive, forthright and strong. And, you know, because that's the only way that I can be heard. And I struggled with that. And for about three months, I went hard on that. Like, you're going to be a bad, a bad boss. Yeah. <laughs> a yep. bad bitch boss. Yeah. Um, lay, it and, <laughs> lay it down. And it was, I, it was, I was so terrible at it. It did not work out. It felt so inauthentic to who I was. And at that moment, I realized that I'm like, I need to lean into what I do best, which is I'm very much, I'm Filipino. So are, we're very family oriented and, and community based. And, you know, I shared my room, my clothes with my three sisters my entire life. So I'm used to sharing and, and making compromises. Um, so that's been always hardwired in how I work. And I realized like, you know what, like that's who you are, lean into who you are, which is a nurturing person. And to your earlier question of how do you know when you're not going to take being taken advantage of, you know, like when you're typically when you're softer in, um, in your leadership style, you know, how do you make sure that no one steps on you? And for me, what I, what I do do now is, is specifically with the team that I work with, I set and give accountability, meaning I'm going to I'm going to be your friend. And I'm very much the same with my friends as I am with uh, people that I work with who are juniors to me. I treat them all the same, but it's, you know, mutual respect and accountability, meaning, yeah, we're going to be buddies. But at the same time, you need to perform. Uh, you need to step up and set those expectations with your team. And I, that's when I notice that they don't take advantage of you because they they feel that you're in it and as just as invested as they are and that they they owe you the same respect. Um, so, so far, knock on wood, that's not wood, but um, uh, I've had uh, such an amazing experience with any team that I've worked on where even though I do lead in the softer sense, um, uh, I never feel like, the, they're taking advantage of my leadership or my kindness. Um, in fact, my design, the designers that I worked with, they will say to you, they're just like, Mo, we are always in constant fear of disappointing you. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, you guys are the cutest. But it's because they, sh they you, when you show that you're as invested in the work and in them, it's like the, that parent that you can't please almost, not that I am that parent, but um, when they believe in the leadership, they're not going to disrespect you nor take advantage of you. And I think it's mutual. So you, I think that's what I think leaders need to understand is that this is a partnership. It's not that I'm leading you or vice versa. This is a partnership as a team because I'm learning from them as much as they're learning from me, right? And, you know, you mentioned that you got into a leadership role at a young age. It is interesting in our industry that we really foster creativity and we, yeah. and, we, and we, you know, we work on our craft, but there really isn't a training ground for leadership. No. It's a little bit sink or swim. Oh, yeah, 100%. Oh, you want a bunch of awards. No, you're in charge of people. And you're like, but. <laughs> and you know what? I got to give credit to both 123 West and John Street is that, so at 123 West, we have an executive coach. Her name is you Linda. You do? Yeah, we have Linda O'Glove. Oh, my God, I love her. I've only been there four weeks, but I've had three sessions with her already. And her her role is to coach you through as an executive. So she does CEO school. So Scott Keith and all the uh, other partners, Jeff, you guys, I'll hook you up. I love this. <laughs> this is fantastic. And I, I 
think that's a model that more agencies should yeah. adopt. Yeah. And, and fantastic. her style, which is amazing, is that, you know, she, she looks at you from a holistic level, not just developing your career, but your life. So she she helps you develop your business life, your personal life and your family life. Um, and because that's essentially appreciating that you are that whole person, not just career. Um, at John Street, we have similar we had a similar uh uh, set up with Susan Stitt, who was our executive coach. So she trained the executive oh, team. Amazing, yeah. So I think I think it's it's crazy that you guys don't have it, but like I think maybe we should talk about it more. I yeah. think that we need to invest in our leaders because at the end of the day, it stems top down. To be honest, right? Mm-hmm. You you set up the vibe and the culture and the values of an agency from the top. And if you, if if leaders aren't leaning in and making themselves better, why should everyone else lean in and make themselves better? You mentioned in when you were talking about leadership about being a woman in a room of a bunch of 50-year-old white men yeah. at, the be- at, the be- at the beginning of your career. How do you feel about that now? And uh, how are you feeling about the movements in our industry towards diversity and inclusion? You know what? I am so excited and hopeful and optimistic because it has it has changed um i could see it changing i don't think it's enough though in my opinion uh, i mean the most I, even just two years ago i was at a global conference of sorts uh with a big with a network and it was the all the creative directors ccos CSOs uh, in one in one setting. It was in Seville, Spain, and we were to present our best work. It was the top agencies, and there were seventy people there, eleven of which were women. Out of seventy, out of seventy, eleven. Oh, and, that depresses me. And then three out of seventy were women of color. Wow. So so dis- still so that was just two years ago. I think still so disproportionate. Um, and I, although right now, what I love is that Canada specifically. Um, is uh, there's a lot of women in leadership roles and that like makes my heart sing so much but if you look at uh, other industries it's not as prevalent yet so I think presence of women is still not enough but I would say presence of women of color is also still not enough Um, I mean we're going to be talking about diversity and inclusion shortly but but I'm hopeful because I feel like um, because of what's been happening this year um, People are now more open and their agencies are actively, you know, looking and hiring differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been in a lot of those conversations with different agencies and and I believe, I believe in them and I believe that as an industry, we all want to change. You, you, you um, teach at the Miami Ad School. I do, yeah. With the students coming in, do you see diversity in the classroom? Yes. And yes, yes. So... I teach at Miami Ad School and I recently actually spoke at Humber College and I asked the same question. I'm like, hey, what's the ratio of diversity and representation in the makeup? So at Humber, I think it was quite high. It was like 85% diverse. Um, And uh, at Miami Ad School, I don't know the full percentage, but visually from what I could tell, I would say they're about 50 to 60 to 70. Um, The students are very much diverse, women, uh, men, different backgrounds. Um, And so then what's that... What's happening then, right? Like when you look at, because even my graduating class, and that was like, well, it was more than a decade ago. Um, I would argue that it was also around 80% diverse. But then what's happening along the way? Like, what is it that, you know, from when students are in school to, to, to people getting in leadership roles, how has that, how has the, the um, ratios become so disproportionate that you don't see representation at the top? So I think the job to be done as an industry is figuring out that middle. 
it's like where are people getting lost you know mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. a few ways one is um uh how one of the things that i think we're, we're finding is one um you know entry level to our industry is quite high you, you know uh, uh tuitions quite high the materials and the software that you need are quite high um so entry entry points are are quite difficult and then it's the sustaining of that talent throughout that whole journey of process of becoming a leader i don't think uh we're doing a hard enough job in terms of now that you have people of color and black people in our industries how do we now make sure we create an environment and and of ways in which they can grow right um i'll speak to this briefly but this idea of mentorship and sponsorship mm-hmm. mentorship is you know here's a mentor that will um give you advice uh you know on your book and on your career and i think that the difference is with with people of color is they need sp- true sponsorship and sponsorship means is me as a leader I'm going to help and invest you and help you navigate through this industry that doesn't represent you. Um it's helping them through that process, you know, to to kind of open doors for them uh and allow them um and coach them through, you know, if you feel you feel XYZ in this agency, here's how you can kind of navigate through it and I think we need more sponsorship right now. Mm-hmm. Um specifically um with BIPOC talent and I think we'll we'll be able to um blur the bridge that line of where you'll have more leaders in that are more representative of the diversity of Canada. Right. So the advocacy part behind yeah. and you know that's what the you talk about the old boys club. That's what they were so good at, right? And across oh. many industries. Oh yeah. But, you know, junior son getting in there and uh, I'll get you in this company and whatnot and we need more uh, diversity and advocates and uh, and gender bias and getting those conversations had at, at a top level. Oh yeah, 100%. And you, you touched on that when you said, you know, we're the boys club and as humans, we're tribal by nature, right? We connect with people who are like us, who are who are part of our tribe. And what's been happening is we hire people who look like us and who act like us. And I think what we now need to force ourselves to do and what we're doing at 123 West, we're we're going to plug here, we're hiring <laughs> All right. Well, that's great though. <laughs> yeah. And and in Toronto or Vancouver? In both. So essentially, um, uh, the way we're approaching hiring for 123 West is not we're not Toronto nor Vancouver. It's what are the needs of our clients and our agencies and wherever they are, Toronto, Vancouver, Amsterdam. So anyone in the world, um, we're looking for talent that, you know, appreciates people who think differently than them. Um, and that's what we're forcing ourselves to do is when we're, we're thinking of net new hires is fundamentally 123 West, we work differently. We want to think differently. We want to act and behave differently than how we have before. You know, we're about iteration and adapting um, to our environments, to our clients, to our clients' business. Um, so right now, we're we're doing a hiring um, approach where we want to actually reach maybe parallel industries that may be right fit for the role. You know, what is the anti fit? Um, oh, you know. that's interesting. Yeah. So, for example. Like, oh, yeah, do you okay. have it? Like, what would be an, an industry that would be parallel that you might look to? So, for example, I just met someone who I, I truly wanted to hire, but they have chosen an amazing place, and he's his book read like so. He is a designer by background, you could tell. He left advertising and did his own thing, so he did freelance. So his book read like as if you know he would create brands for a company and, and work as a designer but sometimes he was a stylist and an art director for a photo shoot and sometimes he was a director for a music video so that book when it shows up at a you know a CD's uh thing you're like oh wait you don't have any integrated campaigns right so 
I don't know if I can, I don't know if you can be a creative director. So that's our instinct, right? You, you try to look for work that you're familiar with. But for me, when I look at that work, I'm like, holy shit, like you understand culture, you understand design and craft, you understand concept. And I don't need to see that you can do a full integrated campaign to know that you can creative direct and get to a campaign. Don't get me wrong. There's a massive, it's going to be a, a bit of a, you'll need to lean in as a company to say, okay, if we bring this talent in, they don't know how to work the way we do. They mm-hmm. don't know our process. So there's going to be a heavy lift, I would say, in the beginning, the first three months, six months to get them up to speed to say, you know, this is how um, this works. But I think what will be interesting is you plug that person in the door, they'll also change your process, right? And the way you approach things and the lens in which they see the world. So I think I think that's what we need to try harder as an industry is look at, evaluate work differently. Even when we look at awards, you know, like how do we evaluate awards differently and the kind of work that we, um, we value. Um, And I think, I think it'd be so interesting to see the makeup of our industry if we hire people more like that. You mentioned, um, you know, I said, oh, is this Vancouver, Toronto that you're hiring? You said it's everywhere, (laughs) the world. And I think this pandemic has really exposed how creativity can flow globally and we can be more accepting of where and how people want to be creative. Uh, It doesn't have to be at your desk till midnight, grinding it out. Um, How have you inspired creativity during these bananas, bizarro times? Oh, my God. Actually, great question. As you know, I went through a crisis earlier this year. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I still, I'm still going through it. I'm still going through a lot of personal anxieties, to be honest. You know, being in this pandemic, you're worried about the world. I'm worried about my friends, my family. My dad's quite old, uh, older. I shouldn't say he's old. He's gonna get offended. <laughs> um, and it's been, it's been tough for me. And I think for me, what and so I haven't been sleeping well either at night. Um, but what has has helped in terms of creativity is that I've. I've, I've relearned how to make with my hands again. So I make a lot of art now, actually. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So when COVID hit, they were like, you have to stay at home. And I'm like, what do I do with myself? And I had like a bucket of paints that I haven't busted out. So I just started painting. Um, and then over time, I like posted on Instagram. And then everybody has just been so supportive. And it's been so invigorating to see the support. So I make art for myself, to be honest. And, you know, you sit I, I live in a shoebox of a condo, which I love my place. Um, and, you know, looking at your spaces, you're like, how do I, because your space should always inspire you. The, in my opinion, you know, uh, when you ask, you know, how do you, how have you fostered creativity for me? Um, I love surrounding myself with spaces and places and people that inspire me. Um, that's how I kind of I love meeting new people like you. Um, so I've been so happy in terms of, you know, being able to be exposed to the ADCC board just because every, I think people are just so interesting and there's always a story to people. And so people like talking to people inspire me. Um, but I love creating spaces that inspire me. So I have a lot of art on my wall. Um, and during the pandemic, you kind of get sick of your, I, I think, uh, home de- decoration is oh, like. I- it's the, way up. It's I repainted up. my yeah. house. I was like, well, picking up this brush. And I yeah. just came home. I was painting a wall black. Like, oh, right. really? Oh, good accent yeah. wall. I did. I was like, I don't know. If I don't like it, I'll just paint over it. Right? But you're right. It's like you, you were in our spaces a lot. Yeah. And so that's what I've been doing is just, I've been just switching art up. I know it sounds narcissistic and putting my own art, art up, but it's it's creating a space for me to to look at things that inspire me. So art making making art and making with my hands have been such an amazing outlet to be honest um you know especially when you're home alone (laughs) well i actually you bring up such a great point how do you think 
mental health has has impacted creativity and as a community what could we be doing as an ad community what could we yeah. be doing better no and i think it's uh so mental health is, in terms of awareness is super important to me so i'm part of the sad collective um we started about five years ago uh, me and my partner megan and essentially it's a platform to try to destigmatize the conversation around mental health um you know saying that you have a therapist is like, you know, typically being like, oh, like something's wrong with you, you're crazy. Um, versus mental health is something that we all face in terms of, you know, whether anxiety, stress, um, to the extreme portions of it, you know, depression. Um, we, we all experience it at some capacity. And I think right now more than ever, there's a lot of things that are happening. You have the world experiencing our biggest crisis in human history was one. The U.S. election is one. Um, you know that in, the entire Black Lives Movement is one, and and in specifically in our industry, what we're facing too is the demands are so much higher now, right? Like we're expected to perform faster, better, and cheaper, and also feeling like we might lose our jobs. Mm -hmm. So what you have now is a group of people who are. I have to work hard because I may be at risk of losing my job and I'm in a pandemic and I can't get another job. So imagine that feeling, um, but also all the other things that you as a person has to go through my, my, you know, parents, I don't know how parents are doing, are doing, you know, working and, 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 and having kids and teaching their kids. Like it's, it's, it's a lot. There's a lot on us right now. And I think as an industry, and this is why, you know, the article, and all the things that we've been talking about is at the end of the day, we need to think that we're people first and that we're human first. And we need to consider the person in their own totality, right? Like it's easy for us to think of, you know, this person's a designer, they're underperforming. It's like, okay, what else is happening in their life? Mm -hmm. What else is happening in the world? And I think a 123 West, um, which is why I, I went there and why I love all the partners is that we are always very much life first and people first. The agency, the entire tenants of that agency, it's been built on the concept that, you know, how do we build a, a career and an environment and a job that su supports people's lives first? So when, when uh, you know, when we're saying we appreciate work-life balance, it's not that we're just serving it as a, you know. A hot thing to say. Yeah, yeah. but they actually truly... Truly, we believe it at 123 West. Even Scott Keith, the founding partner, one of the founding partners, last night just called me. I was like, oh, why is he calling me? And we usually talk like every day. Like a telephone day. call? Yeah, right? Like a old school. Yeah, I know, old school. <laughs> and we chat, we chat, like I would say, on the daily. But he was just calling me at night. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Why is he calling me at night? And he's like, hey, I'm just checking in. How you doing? Aww. And like, you know, I noticed that your schedule has been insane. I was like, yes. But it, and like just like that. It seems like such a small thing, but it's actually a massive thing, like that one phone call or that check-in. And I think we can't forget that we're human first and that we're people first. And I think it's so easy in this industry to do to forget. It goes back to what you said in the article, uh, being kind leads yeah. to good work. And those tiny little moments of kindness and how much that meant to you. Oh, that yeah. That one phone call. Right. So... I'd love to talk about some great work that you've been doing at 123 West, even though you've been there for a hot minute. Oh, yeah, hot minute. But talk to me about the <laughs> Vancouver Mural Project. Oh, yeah, yeah, good question. So that was one of the projects that... Uh so 123 West is killing it. They've been killing it. So I'm not killing gonna, it. I'm not going to take credit of the last, you know, seven and a half years. They kudos to that family and to the people within it and to all the smart, smart thinkers. And the one of the reasons why I was so attracted to them is because one design is a big pillar 
123 West, you know, we are an idea and design collective, um, is is what what's on our website, but it's fundamentally who we are as a DNA, meaning uh, I always believe that design isn't a department, it's a way of thinking. And that's how we approach it at 123 West. Um, and they've been so strong in terms of creating design uh, that definitely understood the ability of design and systems thinking, but concept as well. So when when I think when you mentioned Vancouver Mural Festival, they've done we've we've done two projects for them. It's so weird to to it, because it's work that I didn't work on, but it's work that I truly admire and what we did at One Twenty Three West. So the first time that they did um, that we did Vancouver Mural Festival was we created an identity. And this is this is the power of design, in my opinion, is, you know, design can make things look pretty. And that's table stakes, in my opinion, meaning a great design should, you know, um, consider uh, hierarchy and um, layout and color and type. All of that should be crafted. Great design should be able to capture someone's head and heart. Um, so when they created Vancouver, when we created Vancouver Mule Festival, the identity so I don't know if you know what Vancouver Mural Festival is. Essentially, every year um, we celebrate local um, artists in Vancouver to create murals all over the city um, and, you know, to drive conversation around arts and culture. And Vancouver is very much like that as a city, right? Um, and essentially, the identity, the smart thing about this identity is they created an identity that was quite, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's quite blocky in nature. So VMF are created in big blocks. And essentially, the identity would move and um, adapt to the space that it was in. So the visual language is really rooted on those initials, VMF, and they formulated in the shapes of buildings. So there was a lot of negative space. So the VMF created white negative space. And essentially what would happen is artists would come in and um, and just draw on top of the logo. So it was this, it was the, the concept of, you know, we are now, Vancouver Mural Festival is the platform of which artists' creativity can foster and grow. Was a, It was a very simple execution, but you, you get it right away. And I think that's what smart design does. But what, what they also, what we also did was that it was such a flexible system. So the power of design is to create systems, systems that can work across all platforms. So it animated really well and, and uh, you know, uh, was very much an identity that lived and breathed, but also in static moments from posters to uh, billboards, it adapted to the space. And I thought that was smart. And then the, our most recent campaign for Vancouver Mural Festival, I don't know if you've seen it yet, is this whole idea when you see it, you'll get it that, you know, that that, you know, um, the idea that it's hard to just describe art. So these are colorful billboards that you'll see in the city that describes what the art is, which is like. I'm butchering this, but let's say it was like um, red chicken head on street. And then beside that would actually be the actual mural that was a red chicken on the street. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this whole like there, what, what, what we love about what we do is we immerse ourselves in the culture and the place um, and then creating simple concepts that reflected what that's about. And I think that's what I get excited about and how we approach design thinking at 123 West is it's conceptual design and systems design thinking, but it's also so crafted and really smart. You said to me once, you said, uh, design now is more important than ever. Yeah. And I'd love to end the, this episode with your thinking on why that is true. More than any time more before. Why it's is today... More than ever. Why is design <laughs> more important than ever? 
Well, oh God, I feel like this is going to be a history lesson, but not yes. really a history no, lesson. I, um, I'm so curious. Well, I think so. I mean, design has always been important though. Like I will, I will design underpins everything that, you know, we, when we create brands, when we build brands, design is that tangible expression of all the things that we're experiencing. So it is important, but I think why it's more important than ever is that historically, when you think of it in the context of advertising and marketing and brands, when you think of design, you think of that's you make me a logo, uh, create a color palette, graphic language, you know, and create packaging. So back in the day when I spoke to it earlier, uh, you know, when we we created identities and brands, it was really just all you had to worry about a designer is that that logo and that color palette and that packaging. The style guide. Yeah, the style guide. And I still get briefs like this, to be honest, where I had one time, sorry, I digress, but I had a client come in and it's like, okay, we need you to do a logo, uh, but we don't have a name and we won't get it approved until three weeks from now. But can you just do a logo? Like pick a typeface what? and a color palette. And I sat there and I was with, just like... What? With like Lorem Ipsum? Like what were you... Like, so ridiculous. So then I had to like quickly explain. I was just like, oh, you know, if you're... If the name of your company's tangerine yeah. versus eggplant that's going to evoke different things <laughs> yeah yeah so it's like maybe we can't really start right now um but it, it's still it's still happening right like this is still um because design is perceived as this aesthetic afterthought meaning it's going to make my campaign more beautiful rather you know why why design is more important than ever there's a few things one is um design now People experience brands through so many different touch points. It's no longer back in back in the day. It's through packaging or a TV ad. That's when your first experience with a brand was. Right now, the entry point to your brand is beyond our control. It's now in the consumer's control. They can now enter your brand through social media, through an, a pop-up shop, through in-store, through um, a co-branded piece with an influencer. So because there's so many touch points that a consumer's can experience your brand and that, you know, they they now have the power to whether or not to interact with your brand. The beauty of design, and, and I've said this before, is this idea of systems thinking. The beauty of design is it can make that entire consumer experience consistent, meaning it can hold that thing together, your brand experience quite consistently. So when a consumer enters your brand at any 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 point, I know that it's you. I know that, you know, you're using the same color palettes, the the same principles. So that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it, design has the ability to make each of those experiences so meaningful. Meaning, um, if if you did it right, um, the way you would design for an online experience, understanding human behavior and how they interact with things online and accessibility and legibility, you design that differently based on how, for example, you would design a menu and on a table experience for, for a brand, right? Um, so I think the power of design is to be able to understand human behavior um, and and understanding, okay, f- right now, so for example, I did a project for a brand and they're like, you know what, we, we need to redesign our menus, just make it, just clean it up, make it look like, make it look like. Uh, pretty again and we're like no 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 like actually what if we did this what if we looked at the table experience you know how are how are your consumers you're targeting young millennial families when they're sitting at a lunch table what are they looking at you want them to increase basket size yes you want them to increase their ordering you want it to be easy for them to navigate through the menu and right now you have when they sit at the table you give them 10 menus Mm -hmm. so 
you know, yes, I can make your menu look pretty. It's gonna, we could do that really well. But how can I make that experience better for that mom who's bringing in three kids? Well, you need put wine maybe- at the top of the menu. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> but it's understanding that that their mindsets and their thinking, you know, instead of giving them 10 menus, how do you consolidate that? Right. How do you make sure that, you know, pizza is the first thing that they see to address the kids how do you make sure navigation is uh is clear how do you make sure that you know people order typically with their eyes so how do you get imagery at the right hierarchy so i think that's the power of design wow it's uh, such a human-centric approach it to is the craft of design i that's amazing and then i think so that's what i think not that we're forgetting it and and Every single amazing designers and design studio in the city does this, but I think we forget to talk about the value of it. Because mm-hmm. um, when I think when we present it to, you know, clients and we put it out there, it it's so visceral that you're just like, oh yeah, that's so simple. It looks great. It's like, yeah, it looks great, but it also works great. And it drives business and it's going to get people ordering more food from you because we thought about that that entire human experience and i think for me that's that's the magic of why design is so important why it's so important now because we are so inundated with brands like how many brands do you come across every day that's new it's it's great like to your point social media alone oh yeah it's just you're bombarded with the brand's experience and that's the thing and i think for me the brands that i'm attracted to one too and and i'll I'll speak one last thing why design so important design is you know we talk about brands who win or brands with purpose Mm -hmm. you know this is the driving force of an industry is you know we create brands that have purpose and 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 Conscious consumers are attracted to brands that have a clear purpose. Design is the visceral representation of that purpose. You know, you can say, if you look at even Google as a brand, you know, their whole mission is to connect you to the internet in one click. So from a design sensibility standpoint, everything that they're doing as a brand, um, from the identity it makes it easy for you to access the internet. So even like the design of their website, you know, one big search bar, search. Google Home, they designed voice-activated um, experiences to say, hey, okay, Google, connect to me, to search this. Well, I messed it up. But um, it, it's, it, it, so when you think of design, it's just not designing um, graphic language, it's designing the whole experience from sound to touch to, to everything else. And I think, that that's the key part of why design is so important is it brings that purpose to life in a in a meaningful way in a visceral way and you know design with words is that is is you know is in storytelling is i think the strength of why brands um become successful beautifully said thank honestly you. mo having you on the show today was such a delight oh, you are oh one of those lovely good humans doing great work and and you also said in the article people follow the person not the money so i think that position at 123 west is going to have 10 kajillion (laughs) applicants because people want to follow inspiring fantastic nice people like you oh my god lorinda so thank you for being on the show mo and thank you for having me i'm like oh my god you've been the best host but also i love i love our conversation and i love all the things that you brought up and thank you very much for having me and thank you adcc's and grayson music and michelle we love you guys (laughs) guys. thanks to mo bofill for being with us today and thank you for listening to the adcc podcast that proves it's not just about creativity It's about actually getting it created, even in a pandemic. 
The Advertising and Design Club of Canada is a non-profit organization dedicated to encouraging excellence in Canadian advertising and design. So follow us on Instagram, at the ADCC, and follow me on Twitter, at Loranda. Got a story to share? Email create it at the ADCC.ca.